like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a, another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, up there in New York City. It's Fangraph's own John Taylor, back from a week in the just in the heart of the South, back in my neck does, of the woods. Does Hilton Head count as the heart of the South? Is that it's not the heart, but it's okay. it's in there. It, South it's Carolina, like a finger. Is, yeah, it's. It's the the finger that's funny, um, but no, it's in the south. Like Hilton Head is. Still oh, in the it south. very much felt like the south in mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I saw a lot of SEC gear. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you see although, the most of? Uh, mostly Georgia, since it's right mm. there on the border with Georgia. Yeah, but also a fair amount of Florida gear. Mm. Um, what else? Didn't no Tennessee. See any, no, didn't see any Tennessee stuff. Uh, didn't see any South Carolina stuff either. Interestingly huh. enough, no Clemson. Uh, no Clemson. No, That's weird. Uh, I'm surprised yeah. you didn't see either of those in South I, Carolina. I figured I was going to come across Debo on the beach somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. just drawing up plays in the sand and exhorting the crabs to be warriors for Christ. But <laughs> Right, um, as one does. The other thing about Hilton Head, and I, I think this is just kind of a, a, a regular thing for it, is it seems to be a big vacation spot for Midwesterners. Hmm. So got a lot of Big Ten stuff, a lot of Ohio State, a lot of Michigan. Uh, so... I definitely got exposed to a lot of college football atmosphere in terms of the folks who were around, just re- representing their 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 teams. I, I told you about the, the the Ford ad I saw with Kirby Smart in it, right? Which is just great to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Mark Rick before him at Dodge Ram, Ford Tough, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, it's part of the culture. You're not really tough unless you have a Ford F one fifty in the South, man. That's that's kind of what I figured. Um mm-hmm. I got to enjoy the regional stylings of cookout. That was yes. great. Speaking um, of okay, so you sent me that picture of you eating cookout and I assumed and I think I texted you back where I'm like, you're gonna be asleep for the next three to five hours. Like what was your order and did you actually do anything else after that? So I got a burger with mm-hmm. Cajun fries very and good. a cheer wine. Okay. So just very kept good. it very kept it very simple. Mm. But with that was I got that on the way to the movies. My my girlfriend and I and her sister and her husband, we all went to the movies right after that. And you slept did, through said movie. I did not. I stayed awake for the whole thing, watched The Menu, starring uh, Ray Fiennes and Anya the, Taylor-Joy and Nicholas Holt. The Menu. The Menu. Is yes. it good? It was fine. Um, could have oh, been better. I know what this is. I've seen the, uh, the trailer for this uh, multiple times. It's the guy from um, the great film In Bruges. Yes. Yes. I don't is. know his name. What's his name? Oh wait, are you are you talking about Banshees of Insharon? Because that's the one with Colin Farrell. Well, that's and both. So it's the same thing. Brandon and Bruges is the same too. It's the right. same two guys. Yeah. Right. No, I don't. I don't know if any of these was Ray Ralph Fiennes. Fiennes in... Is it Ralph Fiennes? Fiennes. Fiennes. He was he in, in Bruges. I, I, yes, he was. A, he was okay. the he was the mob boss. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie, but it's one of my favorites. Okay, it's a great film. It's a it is a very. I haven't good seen film. a new one though with Colin. Fer- like, have you watched the new one? What did you say it's called? Uh, Banshees of Insharon. I've heard good things. I have also heard good things, but I have no. not had a chance to check it out. There's a lot of stuff. I wanted. I want to check out the new, uh, the new Knives Out sequel. I would love to catch that at some point. I saw a good um, tweet on that uh, where someone said like all the the nice guys fans just seeing Knives Out get sequel number five and it's just like them screaming and just because that's me. I love okay. the nice guys. One of the most underrated movies. Like it, what if you call a movie the nice guys, the other guys 
chances are it's gonna be good so okay. just keep naming movies and like that but the nice, nice guy's, guys not getting a sequel is ridiculous that was, that was the one with russell crowe and and ryan gosling right yes i have not seen it i've heard many good things about it but it has not made its way in front of my face it's on netflix right now okay i'll, I'll be sure to check that out at some point yeah that um but you know jake g still my guy i don't know if he has anything new coming out jake um, gyllenhaal yeah jake gyllenhaal he's in that new disney animated film strange world um, strange worlds something along those lines so he's kind of in it he's, he's just kind of he's a of, voice yeah, yeah, yeah. he's he, he does his thing we need him back um jake g forever um john taylor well i'm yes. happy you made it back in one piece um did you do any golfing did you do any did you see no, any alligators no there was i did not see any alligators nor did i hmm. do any golfing uh i did see some rabbits for what yeah. that's worth um a lot of birds uh, i i didn't really i don't think i got much of the usual southern uh what's it called the usual southern animal life mm. stuff I well there's a lot of gators in Ilned, and i'm surprised you didn't see one okay. um fun fact fun this fact. is something the <laughs> that i do not recommend anyone doing uh this was in charleston which is a little bit further away but um my south carolina trip i went on a week long trip with a friend in high school and then my best friend we both got invited and we went for the week um and stayed at this place called the isle of palms john okay and it's a cool spot and i remember there was like there there was just a um a moat that surrounded the uh the resort and the moat had uh gators in it and very clear signs of like hey stay out of uh the moat in this mm-hmm. area like you might die because there's uh, little bridges that go over it and you just you're not supposed to but there's no fences that mm-hmm. protect you from said moat um this is more of like hey keep an eye on your children if they uh, are gonna go that way and i because <laughs> we're all 13 i think at that point just on our own for a full week just figuring it out and letting the adults have fun they're like go do whatever we're going to get we're going to go have fun without you kids this is a vacation for us just don't die and yeah, that, that was I mean, the that, which is which is good it's good advice for kids generally is when you're mm. going to go off to do something just don't die right like just don't die that's the don't main die. thing and i put that uh up for grabs on uh, on that particular trip because two gators uh mm-hmm. crawled up from the moat and my friends dared me to uh hit one of the gators with a bamboo stick that not was a good idea. Right. nope not a good idea nope and uh they were like you won't do it and i was like okay and i went and got said bamboo stick like we're not talking about that. like a little bamboo stick and this gator is like on the banks and uh, probably like i don't know 20 feet from me and then I was just, my plan was to hit it as, like, as close, as far away as I could, and then get back over onto the bridge. And mm-hmm. I, I just did not think he'd come to the bridge. And I, like, tapped it on the head. Like, I tapped said gator on the head. The gator proceeds to do that, have you, like, you know, the roll? Mm-hmm. It does the roll into the water. So instead okay. of, like, chasing me, he does the roll, and I just dart, and we're just taking off and all that. But thankfully, he darted and, and did the barrel roll to let me know that, like, uh, that just ticked me off. And yeah. uh, if you do it again, we're, we're going down. Or that what That's what could happen to you if I wanted to do it, but you're, like, 13, and you're pretty scrawny. Not a lot of meat here. It wouldn't be much of an appetizer for me. Just get out of my territory. And dart it off, and yeah. That's what he did. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, that that was the smart decision is not getting eaten by a gator. One I will of the say, dumber I, things I've ever done. I did not see gators. I did see Will Muschamp eat an entire turtle without chewing. He just put it into his mouth and just swallowed it whole. Right. It, was, it was astonishing. I love that something. you know who Will Muschamp is. I would never I. would have guessed. If we had to predict on this pod, if John Taylor ever knew who Will Muschamp was, I never would have t- Look, taken I follow odds. enough, or I follow or know enough Florida fans to know about the particular pain that is the will Muschamp experience yeah but that it's was not quite a decade as, ago john it's not quite as bad as the ron zook experience but it ain't exactly that much better what is this ron zook sec yeah. john taylor what have you been doing over the past week john taylor's just Again, been like did you go just to college know, just know fame too, i Atlanta? know too many florida grads and too many florida fans it there was a, a running joke around si when i was there was it was pretty much half florida half northwestern it was one of the mm. strangest things we just had a lot of florida grads uh, doing journalism with us so i got Thanks. very intimate with florida football and how it all worked which is to say it did not work <laughs> at all mm-hmm. um well, seems better now though well, six marginally and six. yeah no marginally hey, better. okay sure most whatever. people would might say that florida sucks 
and they should always suck. Okay, Some yeah, sure. I, look, I have no happy feelings about Florida. It's you know, it's it's all one giant, you know. They're our main a, rival, John. I thought your main rival was Vanderbilt. No, no. Okay, that's not a real rivalry. Okay. No baseball, but, yeah. Okay. Tennessee Vanderbilt baseball, no love okay. lost there, but. Um, Yes. Well, I'm glad you're back, John. The Thank good you. folks uh, ha- missed the, uh, the the New York City background, the landscape behind you. It's perfect. It, it's just like when you left it, John. Uh, yeah, not like much has changed behind you. Ooh, In New York City. New York City. Exactly. <laughs> just, I, know you get, you, I know you just get the clip of him saying it from the show and just have that be like a morning zoo type like sound effect. Just pl- like insert it every now and again in there. I can do soundboard. I don't know if I want to do it. I don't know if I want to turn this into a morning zoo show, but I know for a fact if I started adding it, so much of this would just be Dumb and Dumber. Just me clipping th- certain things that just make me smile from Dumb and Dumber. And yeah. No, and, and it'd have, it'd have no, no what relevance to what shadows. you're saying. You're just pressing a button so you can <laughs> just hear Jim Carrey scream, our pets' heads are falling off. Right. Like, there's a way to do it when we're like, hey, Jeff Bagwell's commenting about 50-50 in the Astros organization with analytics and feel. And then we, I hit that sound bite, our pets' heads are falling off. If you're mm-hmm. an Astros fan, there just you go. Just toss in the, the bit about the salmons of Capistrano. Or, yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, it all works, John. I, I got a wonderful moment a few weeks ago where um, I was... Try, my, my girlfriend gave me a suitcase to borrow and it mm. was Samsonite and so the first thing that jumped into my mind was immediately Samsonite! I was way off. I I love that. Did she get the reference? I don't think so but I, oh, it, no. it didn't matter to me. I, I wanted it for myself. Mm. That's that's really all that mattered. What if she'd responded Sammy, Slammy, Simmy Slippy, do you propose I mean, that would spot? Been, that would have made me very happy. Yeah, I think so. I think I mm. have to at that point. Absolutely. Well, John, a lot has been happening in Major League Baseball uh, in your time away. Um, uh, there's going to be a lot more. We're almost in uh, winter meetings territory. We're uh, nearing December when the hot stove picks up, and we're going to see a lot of player movement. We've already seen a little bit with Jose Abreu, who we'll get to in a second. But something that happened um, a while ago now, but I still wanted to talk about it, is mm-hmm. Cody Bellinger, who... Okay. I think I tweet or I think I sent this to you, John, where I was like, I was going through past MVPs because when he got non-tendered, I was like, okay, Bellinger's gone. And obviously he's had his struggles for the last two years and injuries have really ravaged uh, his prime years, but we're less than five years removed from him being the major league baseball MVP. We're three years removed from that. It has only been three calendar years since he won the national league MVP. And he got non-tendered by a contender by a mm-hmm. team that is trying to win the title every single year, mm-hmm. he was non-tendered. I for think a team it's that one of the more insane have, fall from graces, right? For a team that does also does not have a center fielder ready to yep. replace him either. Um, yes, it is one of the more baffling... Maybe not... Baffling is maybe not the right word. I think a large part of what happened to Bellinger has to be tied to the shoulder injury he suffered mm-hmm. during the 2020 World Series. I think that is that clearly affected him at the time, and I think it's something he's still clearly trying to work through. I think I think some of it too is that Bellinger was always going to be a guy because of the big swing he has because of his propensity to you know to be aggressive in the count that there was always a chance that this was that an outcome close to this was possible but mm-hmm. no I, I don't think any if you told people right after he won that MVP award be like hey in three years this guy's gonna be out of a job and not yeah. just out of a job but the three years in between now and then will be some of the least productive years offensively of any player on the face of the earth. You know, that I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's exactly a stretch to say no one saw that coming. No one saw that coming. And it it really is remarkable to see what has happened to Bellinger and the fact that almost certainly he will not be a Dodger on opening day. I think that, you know, if L.A. wanted to keep him, I think there probably would have already been some move by now. And I think the plan for him probably is to try to land a one year pillow deal somewhere else, rebuild that value, try again next winter, hope for better, maybe in a, a better offensive or better park for left-handed hitters, or maybe on a team that, you know, is, is has a hole in center field and is just willing to let him play there because for as bad a hitter as Cody Bellinger is right now, he's still a great defensive center fielder, one of the better ones in baseball. And that to him hitting the market when there really aren't many good true center field options available either. You know, Aaron Judge 
can play center, but I don't think that he's a long, he's obviously not a long-term center fielder. He's a long-term right fielder. Brandon Nimmo is a good center fielder for the most part, but also a guy who is going to have to move off the position sooner rather than later. You're not getting a long-term center fielder out of him. You know, Kevin Kiermeyer, probably the best defender available in the center field market, but 33 years old, coming off a major injury, hasn't been an above-league average hitter for pretty much the entirety of his career. So, you know, by that, by virtue of that, Bellinger, and the fact, too, he's only 27 years old. You know, yes. guy, like it guy, feels like he's a lot older because of his body and breaking down, but it's like the man is 27. Yeah, so I, I would not be surprised. I think he's easily going to get some kind of one-year $15 million deal somewhere, but I think that's also a reflection of just how thin this market is and also just how thin the center field position itself has become. It's kind of, it's kind of moved toward the catcher end of the spectrum where it's mostly great defenders who really can't hit. Mm. Um, and I don't know if that's something where that's you know, like a, an industry-wide thing or if it's just kind of a, a, a fluke that, you know, we just happen to be in this weird period of, of non-hitting center fielders. But uh, again, at the very least, Bellinger is such a good defender that I don't think he will have trouble finding a home necessarily. But yeah, it, it is wild what has happened to him. And I don't really know what the solution is for him. You know, he doesn't, he struggles against high fastballs. He struggles against uh, breaking balls. He chases a lot. You know, the power that was that made him an MVP just does not seem to be there anymore. I imagine that some of that is probably the shoulder. You know, he's just not a very selective hitter at this point, and he can't do damage on the pitches he does get. So I I don't know. I mean, is, are we basically just seeing the, the white version of Jackie Bradley Jr. kind of play out here? I don't know, but... I think he'll still get a job anyway, if only because there and there there will be at least one team that thinks to itself, yeah, but what if we can fix him? Mm-hmm. Because if you can fix him, he's a six-win player. You know, he is again an MVP caliber player if you can fix him. Even if you don't fix him, you're still getting a really good defender who can run into the occasional fastball and steal bases. You know, bury him at the bottom of the lineup if you need to. I mean, we just saw two teams make the World Series getting virtually nothing offensively out of their center fielders except for the occasional the like, mistake Guardians home run. literally had a center fielder this year that did not hit a home run. Yeah, and Miles Straw. It's Most teams do not get good offense from that position at this point in time. So I would not be surprised to see any contender, either with a hole there or they could use the defensive help, like a, a team like Toronto, for example, if they strike out on Brandon Nimmo, would make a lot of sense for Bellinger. Or a team like... I mean, depending what Boston does with the rest of its offseason, I could see Bellinger being a guy they could plug into center field and hope for a rebound and move Kike Hernandez uh, to second, either to second base or have him be more of a utility player all across the diamond. But either way, I, I don't I don't see Bellinger staying unemployed through the offseason, but it is also just remarkable what has happened to him. It is, it is beyond belief in some ways. It's also, I mean, are we sure that he gets, he's on an, are you, like, what would you put your percentage uh, gut feeling on if he's on a team on opening day. Do you think 100%, he is signed? 100%. 100%. I think okay. 100% someone signs him. I don't think there's... I mean, again, he's 27 years old. He's three years removed from being an MVP. He's a great defender in center. He's a good base runner. Uh, and he's only... I, I can't imagine, unless some team is weird and, and dumb enough to offer him a multi-year deal, he's only going to cost you, you know, maybe $15 million for a year. It's not really that much. Well, do you and, think he's okay with that? I think is the other yeah, part well, of I this. Yeah, well, I think that has to be the play because, again, no one's going to give him a multi-year deal right now. And if they did, yeah. it'd be some kind of multi-year buy-low type thing, either with something with a, a club option based on plate appearances or something or something closer to like a 224 type deal or, or something. Mm. That That's not going to interest him. I think the goal here is to you know, sign somewhere, ideally with a contender, try to figure out a bounce back offensively, have that good season, re-enter the market next winter, and try to find that multi-year deal then. Um, I think he can do it. At least I think he can get that one-year deal. I don't think that should be a problem. But I, if you were to ask me my, you know, zero to 100, my, my guess that he returns to some level of that 2019 player, I mean, it's got to be like 40-some percent, maybe. And that feels that feels optimistic, you know? Who do you think is the starting center fielder for the Dodgers on opening day? That's a tough one. I mean, if you look at our roster resource depth charts on Fangraphs right now, they have it as, I believe it's going to be Chris Taylor, although Mm. I don't think he's probably not good enough defensively to play center field on the regular, and also a guy who can't really stay healthy anyway, and Mm. also a guy who offensively has not really done much in the last couple seasons, thanks in large part to that uh, injury history. But... I don't know. I, I could see maybe Nimmo, but I, I don't really know that the Dodgers are going to want to buy on 
the decline years that are coming for that. I mean, Judge would be fascinating, but I think if the I think if the Dodgers sign Judge, it is to put him in right field and then move Mookie Betts to second base, which is also insane and wild to me, but hey. Yeah, so right now, per per our roster resource depth charts, the, the starting center fielder is Trace Thompson, which is just not, it's not going to be Trace Thompson. Yeah. You know, that 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 is, I, I will bet every dollar I, uh, I have now and every dollar I make in the future that the Dodgers opening day center fielder will not be Trace Thompson unless there's a really, really good left-hander on the mound and they want to play platoons or something. But, um, yeah, and also there, there's not really a guy coming in their system either. They don't have someone waiting. You know, Michael Bush is not a center fielder. Andy Pages is not a center fielder, you know. They need they need to get some kind of outside solution there. I mean, maybe they want to try Gavin Lux there again, depending what they do at shortstop. Um, I mean, look, when we when we get to the Dodgers eventually in, in our offseason stuff, like there there's a lot that Dodgers need to do. You know, there are a lot of question marks in this lineup and in this rotation and all over this roster right now where they're kind of in this little period where I don't know how much help they're going to get filling those positions in internally. I think they can get some good depth internally in guys like Bush or Bobby Miller or Pages or Gavin Stone or Ryan Pepiot, but I, I don't really see the starting center fielder on opening day on this roster right now, unless they go insanely cheap at the position and just decide that, hey, maybe we will just run with Trace Thompson or we'll try to make Gavin Lux work out there. But that that seems like a that seems like a not a great idea if you're the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, switching gears a little bit, the Twins got new uniforms. John Taylor. I feel like they get new uniforms every single season. Is that <laughs> do just you like me? them? I, I don't think know. they're fine. I, I like the Twin Cities al- alternate. I'm a little surprised it's not just a City Connect. Mm. Uh, I guess the Twins must have either they're way down the list of, of future City Connects or. They have a much better idea, but I, I figured the Twin Cities one would be a City Connect. I mean, it, it's fine. I, I didn't think the Twins uniforms really needed to be changed up in, in any real sense. Um, count me among the people who would love to see at some point the 90s pinstripe Twins jerseys make a little comeback. Yes. Um, I think those are very nice. But, yeah, I mean, I, I do find it funny, though, that most teams are just like, okay, jerseys are going to be, like, white or cream colored, and then there's going to be some blue or red, like, cursive script. Yeah. It, there just doesn't seem to be much creativity when it comes to we're going to do something actually different with our jerseys. It just seems to be more like we're going to make them look kind of like the, the Twins. Jersey. The one thing I will say I don't like about the Twins uniforms, the M hat looks way too much like the old Miami Marlins. I would logo agree. Hat. That was my first thought when I looked at this was like, oh, they ripped off the Marlins logo. Yeah, which is and it's not a good logo either. No. That kind of angular sharp M. But for the, the most weird part, star on top doesn't really fit. It's a very weird look. But for the most part, I, I think the uniforms are fine. But like I said, I feel like the Twins do this every single year. I feel like there's always a new alternate Twins uniform. Yeah. I'm not really sure why either. The Twin Cities one looks like, and someone pointed this out on Twitter when it broke, it's like I can't unsee it that it's just the Royals. Like mm-hmm. you can't unsee it. Like that is 1,000% just the Royals. It reminds me of the Milwaukee NBA uh, City jersey. Mm. Kind of. Which one? Uh, there's a cream-colored one. Yeah, I think they can't wear that anymore for some reason. Yeah, I think there, there's a sponsor on it that they no longer have or something. Yeah, and it stinks because yeah, those cream-colored ones are yeah, awesome. Yeah, the, the Cream City jersey is what it's called, which, one, Cream City <laughs> might be the worst phrase I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, but yeah, the, the Twin Cities one does remind me a lot of that. Absolutely. Um, John, Jose yes. Abreu. yes. We're not sure who's running the Houston Astros at the moment. We're, it it collect- seems to be Jeff Bagwell and Craig Biggio. <laughs> um, maybe Derek Bell as well. Lance Berkman popping in. Uh, Morgan Ensberg just you know get getting a making some some uh, making some suggestions. Jeff Blum is actually running payroll numbers right now. He's crunching <laughs> those numbers. Uh, Carlos yeah. Lee is in charge of scouting now. Man, you are remembering some guys. I am remembering some Astros. Roy Oswald, is he not let's in the get, fold? Let's get Jeff Jenkins in here. Jeff Jenkins. Now, that isn't... I mean, are we sure he wouldn't go to Milwaukee if he was going well, to go to Well, that's the thing. Like, I know I know he was a brewer for a long time, but he was on the Astros, right? It's possible. I don't oh, wow, remember. He actually, he actually was not. He was pretty much a lifetime brewer. Okay. Oh, wow. I'm just going to pull up the 2002 <laughs> Houston Astros. Just to, to pull out some more names. Richard Hidalgo, yep. Daryl Ward. Uh-huh. Uh, was Moises Alou ever? Uh, of course. Yeah, Moises Alou was on the Astros at some point. Well, I'm uh, saying at that time. I don't oh, remember. at that time, no. Yeah. Um, Adam Everett, great defensive okay. shortstop. Adam Red Everett. Sox prospect. 
Uh, Julio Lugo, RIP. Um, the the great pitching the pitching duo of Roy Oswalt and Wade Miller. Wade uh, Miller. Extreme '90s baseball card guy Dave Malicki. Mm. The wonderfully named Kirk Sarlus. No recollection. Yeah, it, what a, what a time. Shane Reynolds, Tim Redding, really Tim getting Redding, into some 2000s astros. Hippolito Picardo. No great idea. There. Anyway, yes, the I don't know who's making decisions in Houston either. I mean, aside from Jim Crane, Jim Crane is clearly the one who's who's putting his stamp on everything here now. Who do you think? Like, so Abreu signs, and I think we talked about it before it happened. We're like with the first base spot. I thought. I think we agree that like Houston actually probably made the most sense for Abreu. Yeah, um, I think if Houston hadn't gotten Anthony Rizzo, mm-hmm. um, if Houston hadn't gotten if Houston had gotten Anthony Rizzo, I think, I, or better said, I think Rizzo was the only other guy on the market who really made sense for them. But yeah, mm-hmm. Abreu Abreu makes perfect sense. Do you like the years and the money? I think so. I know that there's a risk, obviously, with a guy of Abreu's age, thirty-five. Um, 35 years old to give him a three-year deal, but I don't think the money is terribly much. And I also think Abreu is one of those guys who, one, he's been super consistent. Two, I think he's a younger 35 than most guys at 35 Mm. because, you know, when he was playing in Cuba, the seasons weren't as long. You know, he didn't have that same, like, major league grind on him. Uh, It's I don't necessarily know that it adds up to, like, you know, he's, like, actually 32, but, you know, I I think he's a little fresher than than most 35-year-old players are. And Honestly, I, I think it works anyway because the only other option for Houston otherwise was to turn back either to Trey Mancini or to Yuli Gurriel. And Gurriel is older and very clearly in decline. Mancini, I don't think, has the same upside Abreu does. I, I think that's part of it. I think that's, you know, if you're Houston and you're a team that's still built to win right now, which they very much are, then getting a guy like Abreu is worth it, even if the next two years are going to be a little on the shakier side. You know, hmm. this is a team that I think a lot of people are assuming that, you know, they figure out how to bring back or replace Justin Verlander in the rotation, and maybe even if they don't. You know, this is a team a lot of people are going to pick to defeat, to repeat as World Series champions, and with very good reason. It's an incredibly deep roster, and if you had to pick one major problem that that team faced going into 2023, it was where is the offense at first base going to come from, and now they did it. So that's part of it, too. Is like I don't really mind the years and the money because it addresses the single biggest weakness on the roster right now, and for the most part, that kind of means Houston can rest a little easier for the rest of the offseason, you know? Again, they have to figure out what they want to do with Verlander, if they want to bring him back or if they want to replace him. But they have the space and money to do that. And aside from that, I think now the question becomes, um, okay, what do we look at in terms of, you know, giving out money internally? Do we want to start trying to figure out, you know, any kind of extensions with anybody? Do we want to hire someone to actually run the front office? Do we want to hire someone to run the actual team? But... <laughs> No, I, I think it's a, I think it makes perfect sense for Houston. I think there obviously is a little risk that Abreu is reaching as now has one foot over the edge of the cliff. His power was really down last year. But a lot of that seems to be just some either batted ball luck or just some of the maybe some of the dead ball was part of it. You know, his stat cast expected numbers were 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 better than what he produced. Um, I think also there's maybe a little concern that he's never been uh, that patient a hitter. He's always been a really aggressive guy, both early in the count and with two strikes. But at the same time, he did walk a little more last year. And again, the floor is still pretty high for him that I don't think we're really looking at like pure collapse. Hmm. Maybe by year three, we're a little more worried. But at the same time, I think Houston, I think Houston can afford to worry about Abreu being bad in 2025 if he, you know, when they get there. I think at the very least for 2023, he should be an above average productive regular in that lineup. And I think that's really the thing that matters the most for them. If he's, if he struggles beyond that point, they'll figure something else out. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, too. Who would you guess is his highest similarity score in baseball reference through age 35? That is a really good as question. A and I do not have any idea. I, I, I would not even try to fathom a guess. It's going to make so much sense when I say it out loud. Okay, go for it. Andres Galarraga. Yeah, that makes sense. The big cat. That makes yeah. a ton of sense. Um, and I think the other part, too, is I know that I think that if there's one thing that makes Houston not the ideal landing spot for Abreu, it's the fact that they have a regular DH in Jordan Alvarez. So Abreu mm. is not going to, you know, if it turns out by this time next year, he's, you know, not really. Because, I mean, that is something to watch, too. Yuli Gurriel is a fantastic defensive first baseman. Jose Abreu is not. He's fine, mm. but he's not nearly as good as Gurriel is. Um, you know, is he going to be someone that Houston is going to want being a DH more often than not as he gets older? Well, that's going to be a little tricky if they have Alvarez still there, especially given that 
Uh, I mean, Alvarez can play the outfield, but I don't think Houston wants him out there on the regular. So hmm. that, I think, is something else to watch out for. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, this is a dude who just all he has done in his major league career is hit. Just hit and hit and hit and hit. And I don't really see any reason why that's going to come to a stop, especially given how smart Houston is and how good they are about getting the most out of the players that they have on their roster. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens here. Uh, Houston is uh, one of the more fascinating um, situations in baseball. Just go read Jeff Passan's report. Uh, good reporting on uh, what that looks like on ESPN.com from a couple weeks ago. But I'm very interested to see what they end up doing because I'm weirdly pulling for Jim Crane to be player or GM slash owner. I want this to happen. It's going to be hilarious, and I very much want this to be the case. That is something we don't get to see very often in Major League Baseball. Hasn't really been done since Steinbrenner. I want to see what that looks like. Yeah, I mean, the downside is it turns into a real Ted Turner situation. Mm. But, I mean, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Because, again, it's like we talked about when Click got let go, which is who is going to want to come and try to run this team with Jim Crane and Jeff Bagwell and right. basically any famous former Astro that Jim Crane likes constantly hovering over your shoulder and being like, well, I don't think you should do that. You know, I, I mean, Lenhow or Capalella. That's it. It's like guys who are like, you're just not sure you're ever getting back in baseball. The, the, the copy redemption <laughs> tour with Houston would be the funniest possible thing aside from hiring Luno back. I want this mm-hmm. to happen now so badly. It's not going to happen in part because I think copy did get the lifetime ban. Yeah, I think so. Um, but still, whatever. Rob Manfred, if you're listening to this podcast, which I know you are every single week, reinstate Coppolella so that he can be the Astros GM because I, I want to watch the reaction to that online when that happens. If if you know, or not when, but if it were to happen, I'd love to see the online reaction to that. Um so this is from John Morosi uh this past week, John, that I thought was extremely interesting because we've been wondering off and look, I got the Tennessee Smokies hat uh ready to go for the Cubs offseason here. And I I'm very curious to see what they do because we've talked about like their offseason last year and they kind of dip their toes into what they they just they don't really want to win the nl central yet they also don't want to like you're just they were rumored to be in on carlos correa which was kind of weird and you're like all right what do y'all want to be um in the next two to three years and then morosi uh puts out that um the cubs will not just like they'll be in the mix Mm-hmm. He said plainly, the Cubs will sign one of the big four shortstops in this mm-hmm. winter cycle. Okay. Who makes the most sense of that group? Who do you think, when you hear that, the Cubs ha- will probably have the best chance of signing? Of Correa, because, well, not maybe not the best chance. I, I don't know what they'd have the best chance with, but the guy who makes the most sense for them is Correa because he's the youngest of the four. Yeah. I and think, they were rumored and linked to him last year. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense because, I, as I've said a few times, I don't think this is a team that is going to be good in 2023. I think they'll be probably mediocre at best. Like, that was mm-hmm. not a good Cubs team last year, really, by any definition. And they're going to lose Wilson Contreras, most most likely. Are we sure? I mean, we'll see what his market looks like, but yeah. I have to think there has to be at least one contender out there with a hole of catcher that's like, yeah, we could probably use one of the five best hitting catchers in baseball probably mm. but assuming Contreras does not come back and I also find that kind of hard to, to to imagine with the Cubs given that Contreras is probably not long for the position I think maybe you get another two or so years out of him as a regular catcher before he has to start transitioning into either into some kind of combo of like a left field DH type role maybe first base if he can hack it but where do you I think, move Nico though in this situation I think Horner probably moves over to second base I think so maybe, what happens to Madrigal I don't really know that Nick Madrigal is a guy where you sit there and go, but what do we do about Nick Madrigal? You make him mm. earn a position back. You know, he has not been healthy for two seasons at this point. He yeah. is not an impact hitter really by any stretch. He's a guy who, because he does not hit for power and because he does not have good plate discipline, he is just so reliant on batted ball luck and mm. on contact stats. And he also just doesn't hit the ball particularly hard. I mean, he, he's basically a David Fletcher clone. Mm. And I don't really see that that's a guy who should be given a starting spot. I can see if the Cubs don't do anything this offseason and they do stick with Horner at shortstop, sure, let Madri- give Madrigal all the reins at second base. Let him see what he can do. You're not going to be a contender in 2023 anyway. You might as well see what he can do for you. But at the same time, if the option is there to sign Correa and move Horner to second base and figure out what to do with Madrigal later, do that. That makes perfect sense. But yeah, the, for me, it, it just is as simple as Correa is the youngest of the four. Therefore, he's the guy who makes the most sense for Chicago because their good years, I think, are still another two years away, maybe three. 
Um, I don't think they're going to be a contender in 2023 with Correa even. I think 2024 is much more likely. Um, and I think at the very least, Correa also can, I, I think he can easily hold down that position at short for a while. And once he has to come off the position, his arm is so good and so strong, he can very easily make the transition to third base, which is another position where the Cubs don't really have anything going on right now. It's been mostly Patrick Wisdom there uh, and, and just a kind of collection of other random minor dudes where, you know, n- neither position on the left side of the infield, I think, should be considered uh, completely and utterly off limits. I think, you know, Horner had a pretty had a very good year last year. But I, again, not a guy where I think you have to you have to make a change or where you have to say we're sticking with him for good. It just hurts because he's a first rounder from what twenty eighteen, I think. Um, high upside guy, and we'll see. The infield, I don't know. It's funny we go to Morel and center field. It's like, oh, they they kind of have some. They need some more depth now. It's like, well, most teams have a bad center fielder now, and um, I don't know. I just I'm very curious to see what they do and I, who slides everywhere, but it's, it, it seems like someone's going to get moved around this infield. Like someone, if yeah, they're I mean, signing, someone, someone has to, I mean, yeah. I, I feel like you can't, again, I, I don't think you can go into the se- If you want to contend in 2023, if you're the Cubs, I don't think you go into the season with Nick Madrigal as your starting second baseman, you know, but I, you're okay I, if he wins it out and he's healthy. Cause like we've sure. seen the best of Nick Madrigal, which is a really good player. Sure. I, I think that's entirely feasible. But again, you look at the Cubs roster, they're, you know, Patrick Wisdom is not a good third baseman. You no. know, he's a fine he's a fine fill-in player for a non-contending team, but he's not a guy that you build around by any mm-hmm. in any stretch of the imagination. You know, the the first baseman in Chicago right now is Alfonso Rivas. You know, the, yeah. their their DH is Matt Mervis if it's not Zach McKinstry if it's not Miles Masterborn or Velasquez, like, or yeah, like and again, like you're waiting for guys to make their way up from the low minors. You're waiting on Pete Crow Armstrong. You're waiting on Kevin Alcantara. You're waiting on James Triantos and Owen Casey. You're waiting on uh, whether or not Brennan Davis can get healthy and and you know put himself back together into being a top prospect, you know there are still there's still ways to go before those guys I think are ready to contribute. And obviously I don't think any of them, with the possible exception of Davis, but I I don't even know that I would. He he's a guy whose whose injuries have really uh, put him behind the eight ball in that regard. I don't think any of those guys are are going to be contributing in 2023, and I think it's a stretch to think even 2024 for some of them. Maybe, but they'd have to progress through the system. They'd have to have some really, really good years in the system next year. So, uh, again, like I think Chicago has the space to kind of screw around and see, okay, maybe there is something for Madrigal. But if they do really want one of those top four guys, I think it's Correa who makes the most sense for them long term because Swanson, Swanson and Turner are better short term options at shortstop, and Bogarts, Bogarts is too, and also is someone where I don't think you can count on him to be a long term shortstop. You're you're signing him with the expectation that. Going forward, he's either going to be a second baseman or a corner outfielder, and probably a left fielder at that. I also don't just love the rotation. Like I think they no, I mean it's not it's not a it's not a good rotation either. There are a lot of holes. The the Cubs is Kyle Hendricks cooked. They have to have that conversation. I think he probably is, and I think what hurts too is that those years between the World Series win and now, Chicago did a really poor job developing its pitching. You know, Mm. there's really no one from that group. Uh, with, I guess, the exception right now of Justin Steele, and depending whether or not they decide to put him in the rotation, uh, Keegan Thompson, mm. or maybe Adbert Alzale, but, you know, th- th- those are not guys, I don't think those guys are difference makers necessarily. I think Steele is probably the closest mm. to being a difference maker in that group, but not a guy, I think, where you're, you know, maybe similarly Javier Assad or, or, Kay- or uh, you know, someone like, a, no, Assad is a pretty good one, but there are not impact starters, I don't think, coming up within the system, or at least anytime soon. So I, I think that's another aspect is that if you're the Cubs and you want to contend this year, you got to go and add some pitching. Because right now the back of that rotation is Adrian Sampson and Hayden Wisniewski. I like Wisniewski a lot. He was really great after coming over from the Yankees, but I don't know that's a guy you can rely on for a full season. And no. Sampson is the definition of just a replaceable back of the rotation guy. Right. So and again, that and that doesn't that doesn't even include is Kyle Hendricks cooked. You know, what can you expect out of Marcus Stroman? He'll be 32 next season. You know, I, I think there's a lot that Chicago would have to do to be a contender. So I think any of the shortstops they signed, it's it's not so much a play for 2023 as it is kind of raising the floor a little bit, making themselves into something a little more respectable, something fans actually are going to want to come out to see, and establishing 2024 and beyond as the as the return to contention. Interesting to see what they do. Um, but you're the Cubs. Uh, do more in the NL yeah. Central. Very winnable. 
Very winnable. That's kind of the thing. Like, it's not that hard to see how the Cubs could win the NL Central. They'd have to do a lot. But mm-hmm. the teams in front of them are by no means world beaters. You know, Milwaukee right. is shedding salary. St. Louis is not a team that's really ever going to make that big free agent splash. Uh, Pittsburgh is literally doing stuff like signing Carlos Santana going, <laughs> well, that's an offseason. Uh, Cincinnati is just awful. Like, th- mm-hmm. there is plenty of room for Chicago to, to step to take a step forward if they really want to. But that will involve spending money because the the state of that roster right now, there is just not enough there for this team as currently constituted to to be a contender for the division or for anything else. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles, who are now in an interesting offseason uh, and offseason ahead for them, they apparently want starters and impact bats. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to be in on one of the big four shortstops, and I think they're going to sign someone that catches a lot of people by surprise i think they want to build off um the success that they just had they obviously have a bunch of big names still coming through uh in their farm system they're ahead of schedule the red Sox are down um the rays we'll see they're still you're not scared of the rays right now if you're the orioles it's really just the blue jays and the yankees and with the expanded postseason you got to feel pretty good about being a playoff team next year. If you're Baltimore, if you do a little bit to tinker with this group, um, we'll see what Adley Rutschman looks like with a full season. But, I mean, a lot of fun young talent. I think there is uh, avenues to be even better. And to really, it's kind of wild to think, depending on what happens with the Yankees, if Aaron Judge is out the building, I mean, there is a path where the Orioles could be the favorites in the AL East sooner rather than later. And I'm very yeah, curious I- to see if they... They go all in this offseason. I mean, I think they I think they would have to go all in this offseason to make that happen, and I just don't see that happening because, I mean, Baltimore is one of those teams where it's like, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. You know mm. what I mean? Like, they have to do it first. Right. Um, but they can. I think that's the <coughs> fun me. thing if you're an Orioles fan, where it's like, if they do what they're supposed to do, they can. Yeah, and, and I totally believe that they can. It's just a matter of, I mean, you, you look at that roster right now and you're thinking, okay, where are the options? Where are the, the avenues for upgrades? And, mm-hmm. and who are the guys who, um, if they were to, you know, if they were to decide, okay, let's let's do this. Let's let's figure out what we're going to do. You know, I, I think if you're looking at, okay, second base, the, the projected starter right there right now is Ramon Urias. I, fine, sure, whatever. I, I think you can probably do better than that. The projected DH right now, Kyle Stower. So there's room, I think, there to get some kind of corner outfield, corner infield bat who can take DH spots. Maybe ideally who can take some at-bats from Ryan Mountcastle, too, because mm-hmm. Mountcastle looks like a very one-trick pony so far and just a big stick with no real no real anything attached to it. Um, Jorge Mateo is a great defensive shortstop. We had a piece by, I believe it was either Leo Morgenstern or Alex Iser, one of our contributors at Fangraphs during the Gold Glove Award, during the Gold Glove a uh, finalist announcement that Jorge Mateo really should have been probably at least a finalist and probably the the Gold Glove winner for the AL at shortstop. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's nothing stopping you from signing Correa or Swanson or Bogarts or Turner or really anybody. And I think that Do you is think also you play a second. Yeah, sure, I think Jorge Mateo can probably play anywhere anywhere they choose. He's a great defender pro- at, around the infield. And I think similarly, if the biggest thing though, I think if you're the Orioles and you do want to make an impact, you got to go get a starter. You know, that rotation right now is Kyle Bradish, Dean Kramer, Tyler Wells, Austin Voth, and eventually Grayson Rodriguez. That's That rotation was way better than we all thought it was going to be last year, mm. but there is not a true impact guy in that group. Um, and I think, you know, if you're ready to be an actual contender, you need to go and sign a guy who you can, you know, it sounds like a cliche, but it's like one of those guys where every five days you're like, oh, I'm not worried about this guy. Mm-hmm. This dude's just going to do what he's got to do. Granted, I don't know what that looks like for Baltimore because the two best starters on the market right now, at least in terms of their the ceiling, are Jacob deGrom and Justin Verlander. Neither of them, I think, is going to be particularly interested in going to Baltimore, and particularly because they're going to be guys who are going to want big AAV contracts. Um, well, I, I imagine deGrom will take whatever he can get, really, be, there, be it long or big, but... Uh, Verlander especially is not going to be interested in a long-term deal that, you know, pays him out forever. He wants his money now. You know, he's at the end. Similarly, those guys are old enough that they want to be on guaranteed contenders. Mm. Um, I think if there's one big starter the Orioles could easily go after, it's Carlos Rodon. Yeah. Um, Still relatively young, uh, very, you know, incredibly good when healthy, uh, a guy you can put at the top of the rotation and feel good about him being there. Um, that would be the one where if the Orioles are going to really make one big splashy signing, I think Rodon is the guy who would make the most sense for them, especially because offensively they are producing a lot of talent through the minors. They've got Gunnar Henderson up. 
Uh, Colton Kowser has a realistic chance, I think, to come up and be part of that team in 2023. Adley ran 133 WRC plus. Like he was their best hitter. Gunnar Henderson was great. They're going to get yeah. a full season now. Of Cedric Adley Mullins is still on the team the that kept play. him. Yeah, they've got Jordan Westberg down in AAA. They've got Joey Ortiz down in AAA. They've got Kobe Mayo down in AA. Like, these guys are getting closer to the majors to the point where I don't really know that Orioles' ownership or the front office. And it, also with the with the you know caveat that Orioles' ownership is in a really, really weird place right now with the two sons of Peter Angelos essentially suing each other for control of the team. But... Presuming that Seems the great. Orioles, presuming that the Orioles aren't either sold for spare parts or moved to like Anchorage or something, you know, I think there is room. I don't necessarily know that that front office is going to want to make a huge investment in a long-term bat unless it's a guy like Correa who can, you know, who fits a premium position defensively, and, or if it's a guy like Judge who is just such a premium hitter overall that he just ta- he raises the floor for the entire team that much. Granted, I don't see Judge going to Baltimore. That would be no. incredibly funny, but I don't think it's going to happen. Similarly, I think they'd have to make a really big offer to get Correa interested because I think teams can look at the Orioles and go, there's a lot of promise here. There's a lot to really like, but that division is stacked, and this team still... Are we sure it's stacked? I mean, stacked in the sense that Toronto is still very good. The Yankees are still very good. The Rays will always be good because they are the Rays and they have made a deal with some kind of (laughs) foul beast whose name cannot be uttered on this podcast. Mm -hmm. The Red Sox, I am not going to talk about. But at the very least, you have three good teams and a fourth that has money and has a good talent pipeline. The AL East is a really, really tough division. And I think it's going to be... If you're, a te- if you're a player who wants to be on a contender, I think there are probably more secure options for you, especially mm. because Baltimore, again, does not have that reputation of splashing cash. I think if they're going to come after anyone, it's going to be kind of closer to mid-tier free agents. But again... Like Josh Bell. Like, he makes a lot of sense at first for them. I think I could see I could see Josh Bell. I think... It, I don't necessarily know that they're going to do that. I think they would probably give Mountcastle another year or so to try to, you know, prove he is actually... But he could be a, DH. He could be a DH. I mean, there are options. Or Bell could be the DH. I, I think actually yeah. that, that probably is a, saying, a, yeah. a reasonably good option for them there. Yeah. But again, I, I the, but that's more the tier of free agent I see Baltimore being involved with and less the DeGroms and the Rodons and the and the, the Correas. And, I feel and like Yvaldi feels like a Baltimore Oriole to me. Yvaldi would also be a great... Or Chris Bassett. Yvaldi, yeah. Chris Bassett. Those, either of those two guys would be a really, really good fit for Baltimore as older dudes who can just eat innings too, you know, and take some of that pressure off the young guys. So yeah, and I'll be them. really interested to see what Baltimore does this offseason. But I also, again, like I said, I'll believe it when I see it, that they're actually going to start, you know, splashing in free agency and making contender moves. Can I book that like they sign either J.D. Martinez or Michael Brantley? Boy, that would DH. be depressing on a lot of different <laughs> levels. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and put it on the podcast. I think they signed one of the two. Um, Verducci, we talked about uh, this decline of star center fielders. He had a really good piece in SI.com about this um, this week. You kind of talked about this at the top of the show, John, but I mean, based on the piece and what you've seen and what you've um, done in your own research, like, do you think this is a blip or do you think this is just going to be a thing that teams just, this is just part of baseball and they're going to go go the way of catchers and sen- there's just not as many superstar center fielders in the game anymore? No, I think it's a blip, if only because I don't think... I think it would be the new normal if it seemed like teams were actively selecting for no-bat, all-glove center fielders. Hmm. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think in reading Tom's piece, which was, as always with everything he does, immaculately researched and very in-depth, but what stands out to me is he makes the point that, you know, kind of... I don't know if necessarily directly, but the point is there that Center fielders are, by definition, super high-twitch, hyper-athletes, you know, mm. because they play the, the th- depending on how you feel about catcher and shortstop, well, they play one of the most demanding defensive positions in the game, one that requires a ton of speed, a ton of range, you know, that requires a ton of athletic ability. In my mind, it's like those are the guys where, you know, the tools are very loud, but those are also the kinds of guys with, I think, the biggest boom-bust potential because as hitters... They have been so reliant on those tools and so reliant on their natural athleticism giving them the advantage over everyone that it's, you know, those are guys who, you know, crush fastballs always in high school, but then the first time they see curveballs and sliders of semi-MLB caliber, it becomes a real, real struggle. You know, those guys are picked for center field more for their defense, it feels like, than their bats. I think similarly to shortstop and similarly to catcher, those positions are so important defensively that you have to make sure that the guy playing there can actually pick it. And so I think that ends up naturally trending toward guys who are better with the glove than the bat because, well, 
you know, you can, like, as we, as we were talking about with Bellinger, you can live with a weak hitting center fielder if they are a very, very good defender. I mean, there's a reason a guy like Kevin Kiermeyer is going to get a deal this offseason, even though he's one of the worst hitters in the majors, you know, because he can, he is still a very, very good defensive center fielder. Similarly, there's a reason Bellinger is going to get signed to a pretty good size one-year deal, because he's a really good defender in center field. But I, I do think it's probably something more cyclical than anything, as, as Verducci notes. I mean, uh, two of the best young hitters in the game right now are Julio Rodriguez and Michael Harris II, and they're both center fielders. And you have a lot of good center field prospects coming up through the minors right now anyway. So, you know, I, I think I don't necessarily think there's anything to that because, again, I don't think the teams are necessarily selecting for bad hitters in center field. I think it's more just the teams are selecting for great defenders, less so worried about the bat. And as Verducci points out, offense is just really, it's really hard to hit nowadays anyway given how good pitchers are, given how hard they throw, given the quality of their breaking pitches, given the their you know their ability to sequence and, and tunnel, like it's really hard to hit. And so I'm not surprised that a group of players that tends to, you know, uh, be evaluated more for the defense and the bat is struggling more offensively than at times previous in history. And as something else he notes, you know, we're in a period right now where if Mike Trout and Luis Robert and George Springer and uh, were healthy, we would not be talking so much, I think, about center field being this kind of offensive wasteland. But I think part of that, too, is you're invariably getting a group of guys who, while they're in their primes, you're also not getting guys who last really beyond 31 or 32 at that position, because by that point, you've lost a step, you no longer have the range, you don't have the speed. You know, it's usually by that point time to start thinking about moving to a corner outfield spot like the Blue Jays are going to start doing with Springer, uh, like is inevitably going to happen with Trout at some point in the near future. You know, center field is not a long-term position for a lot of guys. You know, it is rare to get a guy like a Starling Marte, who isn't a center fielder now anymore, even, who can keep playing that position into their mid thir- into their uh, late early to mid thirties, if that makes any sense. Like, it's a young man's position, and I think, in particular, that makes it that much harder to get kind of consistent good offense that position because the best hitters there invariably have to transition out to a different position. They have to move to a corner outfield spot at some point in their 30s. I agree. John, we yes. end on this. Our biggest question off-season series, the off-season biggest question series starts here tonight, the Washington Nationals. What is your biggest Nationals off-season question right now? See, I, I think for me the biggest question is um, what are they going to do What's the best way to put this? Because the thing with the Nationals is they're not going to be any good next year. Look at their roster. It is yeah. horrible, absolutely horrible, top to bottom. That team is going to lose 100 games guaranteed. So I think for me the biggest offseason question is what underrated slash under the radar slash change of scenery guys can they find? Because I, I think obviously Washington's strategy or what, what will define Washington's success going forward is, you know, the prospects they got from Juan Soto, as well as the other prospects they got in, in the various other deals they've made, you know, that's the core they're trying to build going forward, along with the guys they got from Max Scherzer and Trey Turner and, and everything else. You know, but beyond that, they still need to fill out that roster. And I think it's with guys who are along the lines of like a Joey Manessis, who is more like a, you know, again, one of those under the radar guys being able to find like being able to find basically coins in the couch cushions, you know, that Washington's return to success isn't just gonna be how well these guys develop. A lot of it is going to depend on how well these guys develop, like uh, Robert Hassel and James Wood and Mackenzie Gore and, and everyone else. But the rest of it, too, is going to be, look, this is not a team that's going to spend a big amount of money. New ownership is probably not going to come in Steve Cohen style and just start throwing around $150 million deals for everybody. They're going to have to find a way to build a good roster pretty much on the cheap. And that's going to require them doing a better job at both Uh, internal player development and external player evaluation than they've really done at all since their World Series win. You know, that is something that team has struggled with badly. Um, And especially, too, I don't really see them being big spenders because of the fact that they still have a lot of money committed to both Patrick Corbin and and Steven Strasburg. Like, Strasburg may never pitch again at this point. Um, And if he does come back, we'll probably be nothing close to the player he was. The Nationals probably... Uh, well, thoracic outlet syndrome is the kind of thing that very few pitchers come back from, and most of them, if they come back, don't come back right at all. It is probably the single That's the most Matt Harvey dev- injury, right? Yeah, it's the single most devastating injury a pitcher can suffer aside from a torn labrum. Um, Thirty-four. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I think Strasburg. I think we're pretty. I think it's pretty likely that Strasburg's career is over at this point. 
Similarly, I mean, I, I think the Nationals wish Patrick Corbin's career were over at this point. Um, but that's they have a lot of money tied up in two very, essentially in two, uh, two it, it, those guys are essentially sunk costs. And there's a lot yeah. of money tied up in them. And I have a hard time seeing new ownership being willing to be like, well, I have to eat these contracts, but yeah, go ahead and spend more money. No, they're, they're going to have to find a way to do like what the Giants started doing when Farhan Zaidi took over, which is troll the waiver wire, you know, try to find some kind of system where you maximize the, the positives of every player you can. Maybe that's a lot of platooning. Maybe that's a lot of uh, versatile guys you can play all across the uh, all across the roster to you know to maximize their value that way. But I think Washington has to. The biggest offseason question for them, I think they have to, is where are they going to find those guys and how? You know, they're not going to be playing at the top end of the market. I think we've already seen that. The fact that their first signing was Heimer Candelario, you know, Tiger's non-tender. You know, I think it's a pretty good indicator what their offseason is going to be like. So you know, where are they going to find those guys and who are they going to be? Uh, to bolster that roster as the young guys continue to develop and grow. Because I don't think we're going to see a good Washington team for at least a few years here. I think it's going to take some time. And so the the process begins now of trying to figure out, well, who are, the, who are those guys going to be to supplement that core? Also, is Rizzo going to be the GM next year? Like, is that just locked in? Is he just, I like, mean, he's a lame duck? Like, is he really up for a long-term rebuild? Like, that's just not... I would, I would guess not. I would think, if anything, new ownership holds on to both him and Davey Martinez just for... Uh, for the sake of making an easy transition and just mm. for the stability that they bring. But I have to imagine that a new ownership would want its own front office, would want its own manager. So I would guess that the big question for them next offseason is going to be, who do they find that's going to run this thing and put it all together for them? Because right now... Um, well, you want I, them in place before the draft, right? Theoretically. And so maybe you know maybe we will get some movement on that this offseason, but... Yeah. Um, at the same time, I don't really think we can. I don't think we're going to be able to figure anything out about the Nationals until there is new ownership, uh, and until someone is ready, until someone different is signing the checks and putting their own personal stamp on where they want this franchise to go. There you go, John Taylor. What can the good folks check out from you and the great team over there at Fangraphs.com this week, sir? Uh, well, we've got our usual. We're reacting to every signing and trade as it happens. So you know, anytime any news breaks, come on, check out what we've got. Uh, we're wrapping up an Eric Longenhagen series on roster and on roster moves pat after the non-tender deadline and after the Rule 5 draft 40-man roster uh, edition deadline. Check those out if you haven't. Eric is incredibly in-depth about the, the smaller pieces on a roster, uh, what value they provide, where they might end up, and all that fun stuff. Our Zips projections for 2023 have begun via Dan Simborski. We've got the Red Sox and the White Sox out. We've got the Reds coming uh tomorrow and there'll be more of course over the course of the week speaking of off-season series jay jaffe's hall of fame ballot his jaws profile uh his jaws profiles for the hall of fame ballot have begun we've got todd helton and jeff kent already out we've got billy wagner coming later this week uh if you are at all if you at all care about the hall of fame ballot hall of fame voting if you just want to remember some guys jay's pieces are fantastic in-depth looks at both the player's career and at their hall of fame chances so definitely check that one out uh, otherwise, like I said, we're, you know, we're just keeping track of everything of all the news as it happens. And just, uh, just know, since you mentioned winter meetings, we will be out there at winter meetings too at San Diego. The whole Fangraphs crew will be present. So we'll be on site. I'll be doing my, I'll be doing my appearance next week from lovely San Diego. San Diego. Yes, you'll get, you'll get the view from maybe this, maybe the San Diego Hilton. Is it a Hilton? Is it a Hyatt? Is it a... You need to get this nailed down, John, before you're... I, I really do, but from, from the lovely media room, uh, which is usually a big empty ballroom or conference room that smells like bad coffee for the majority of the week, Yeah, get excited for that. We're um, going to get some surprise guest appearances walking I, by I, in the I background. Will I will... Yeah, people will be... Walk I'm just going to be like, come on, come on, come on, get on, mm -hmm. get on this podcast. Come on, like, Mark Bowman. We're talking about Mark the SEC. Mark Bowman, get on, on this podcast. <laughs> Let's talk Braves. Yeah, there you go. Dave O'Brien, get on over here. <laughs> I'm 1,000% yelling at Alex Anthopoulos or AJ Preller if they walk by. I can I can FaceTime you into his uh, into his uh, what's it called? Uh, actually, no, the GMs don't meet with the media; it's just the managers. Mm. Um, but I can try to sneak into the Braves uh, suites, <laughs> try to get you that one-on-one -on -one with your boy Alex A. That'd be funny. Just like Alex, uh, it's not for me. Actually, I'm with Van Grass. Uh, this is for Chase, uh, a longtime friend of the pod. Uh, you know Chase. Here, <laughs> you know Chase. he's on Facetime for. Well, it. look, Alex hey. listens to this podcast every single yeah. week, so he's media friendly. I think Alex would uh, find it funny. He has a good personality. Yeah, Alex why not? Is cool. There you go, John Taylor. Always a pleasure, my friend. And I will talk to you next week. Sounds good.
This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.